podcast ain't played nobody, your college football marriage of numbers and words, Godfrey. We've been complaining all offseason about how quiet it was, or not necessarily complaining, but just pointing it out because we knew that if it was less quiet, that might not be a good thing. This week, we got the best and worst of, of both worlds. We got the two most delightfully stupid stories of the offseason, and we also got one that uh, is the grossest, potentially, of the offseason. Uh, let's start with the gross one so that we can move on to the palate cleanser and then move on to the topics we wanted to talk about today. How's that sound? Hi, guys. I, I introduced this show today. Yeah, you always have to say my name when you introduce the show because people think I'm gone. Um, yeah, all right. Let's get it out of the way. You ready? Yeah, yeah let's do it. Uh, Brett McMurphy, formerly of ESPN, Future of Stadium, uh, is the best way to describe his job situation at the moment, <laughs> posted this directly to his Facebook page. I'm not going to read this verbatim. It's longer than it looks. Um, so Brett had broken a story earlier about the – we're going to get general and specific here. Let me start with general. Brett has been pursuing a story about the time frame of knowledge on behalf of Urban Meyer and Ohio State into the details of abuse of one of their now former assistant coaches to his to his spouse. Um so Brad had a story this morning, and I'm not, now I'm just going to read it. Text messages I have obtained in an exclusive interview with the victim and other information I have learned shows Ohio State coach Urban Meyer knew in 2015 of domestic abuse allegations against a member of his coaching staff. Courtney Smith, ex-wife of fired Ohio State assistant coach Zach Smith, provided text messages between her and the wives of Ohio State coaches, including Urban Meyer's wife, Shelly, showing Meyer's knowledge of the situation. Meyer said last week during Big Ten Media Days that he had no knowledge of the two alleged domestic violence incidents in 2015 when, uh, with former assistant wide receivers coach Zach Smith that were investigated by the Powell, Ohio, Police Department. Meyer said, had he known, he would have fired Smith in 2015, three years before he did last week, after I reported, that's Brett, the uh, alleged domestic violence. Uh, the one quote, and then I'll, I'll, we'll cut it off and talk about it. Uh, quote, this is from Courtney Smith, the, the, uh, the victim, uh, quote, all the coaches' wives knew they all did every single one. Um, the story you can find it via, I mean, everybody's tweeting about it right now. It won't be hard to find, but it's on Brett's Facebook page. It breaks down, uh, specific conversations that, that, that Courtney provided McMurphy, their text message conversations that uh, McMurphy says he's verified and that show conversations between the coaches' wives. And this is very obvious, common practice amongst coaches' wives. Um, but they detail the specific abuse that she was um, that she was dealing with from her now ex-husband, who was wide receivers coach at Ohio State. Um, what's different about this story that came out today, and we are recording this uh, probably – kind of right before midday, but on August the 1st, a Wednesday. Um, This is pretty detailed. So if all of the text messages are legit, everything that she submitted to McMurphy that he's run are the people who uh, they claim to be, then um, we get into, we get into one strange space. And this is kind of what I wanted to bring up because a lot of people are going to ask, and we've already, when we solicited for Ask PAPN this week, we had a lot of people saying, well, he's, he's fired, right? He's, he's done, right? Um, pause for effect uh not it's not that maybe it's not that finite um it's not that it's it's not that clear cut because this is college sports and it's an abysmal toxic mess of morality um but also because 
you really have to start parsing the words here. Unfortunately, in these situations, it, it, that's just that's the nature of the thing. Um, so uh, the one thing that sticks out to me is this: what McMurphy is pushing as a narrative, and and I mean, this is all fantastic by Brett. And, um, but the one thing that has a little bit of disconnect, and I'm I'm, I'm struggling at the moment to to understand, is that. McMurphy's McMurphy is saying essentially that Urban knew, emphatically saying it as a reporter, when right. the piece revolves around text messages that Courtney Smith, the abuse victim, had with other wives, including Shelly Meyer. Now, um, this is so this is where we have to stop and pause for a second, and we'll do a, a little bit of journalism one on one, Bill. Um, I am I'm talking if there are any lawyers listening to this they'll probably understand where I'm about to go. This is not about what I believe. This is what I'm telling you ha- like has to happen in terms of proving something. Be it a court of law, a journalism whatever. Um there is plausible deniability on Myers part, Urban Myers part if the only thing that's in the public domain right now is that his wife had a text message conversation with the victim. Now, logically, the other side of our brain, and when I'm operating as a reporter and I'm going on instinct and gut and experience, uh, what does that tell you, Bill? Obviously, you would strongly assume that she did tell her husband, who is the head coach of Ohio State, right? Right. You and I are both married. We know how these conversations go, right? <laughs> um, so we're, we're dancing around a very – a very thin but very specific line and the and the interpretation of that uh barring any new information coming to light be it a statement from ohio state or meyer or both or uh anyone else that that's what this thing's going to come down to so i know everyone's first question in a football sense is of course are they going to fire this guy on a national title winning and contending program you know weeks before the season starts um in a football space, I, I, I would just tell you I don't know right now, and I don't think that this story alone is a silver bullet the way maybe a bunch of Michigan fans <laughs> listening think it is or a bunch of people who don't like Ohio State or Urban Meyer. Um, from a, a human standpoint, um, it's just another instance of gritting your teeth where as more and more information comes, there's less plausible deniability. Again, as a human being, as someone who's going to make assumptions and I'm going to collect portions but not the whole of the information available, we're all going to jump to certain conclusions. And sometimes when you say – use the phrase jump to conclusions, you're, you're, you're trying to tie a negative connotation to that. But honestly, if you jump to – it's a very small jump in this instance and the conclusion is pretty obvious. So when I do make that very small jump to a conclusion, um, it's yet another – it's yet another stain and it's yet another reminder that when you when you have an organization, college football program, Fortune 500, whatever, um, success is the ultimate goal and there are a lot of victims along the way. Uh, I can't say I'm shocked. I can't say I'm shocked at all. Um, and, I, and I don't say that as a loaded dig at anything about Meyer himself or his reputation. This is just more, in my opinion, an indictment of the system. Fair to say? Yeah, and it's not even a college sports system. It's it's sports, uh-huh. you know. Uh, well, really, really, it's 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 anything. Like you said, it's anything that makes money um, and and defines people as successful or unsuccessful. So, you know, we're going to get it in college sports, but this is definitely not uh, an aspect of this sport or this you know whatever this genre uh, specifically. But I, I mean, the other part of this, um, 
that kind of adds a layer of grossness to the deal, but then also kind of adds a layer of, okay, this makes sense now kind of thing. So um, our friends, our friends at 11 Warriors, a a very, very popular um, Ohio State site. Man, I lost track of my words there. Uh, When the, when, when McMurphy first started pointing this out around media days a couple weeks ago, uh, Ramsey Nasrallah, who's run 11 Warriors forever, friend of the program, been on PAPN. Um, he very clearly pointed out that it's probably not a coincidence that uh, Zach Smith is Earl Bruce's grandson, former Ohio State, longtime Ohio State head coach and assistant coach Earl Bruce. Uh, he is uh, Bruce's grandson, and this comes out a few months after Bruce passes away. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm, I don't know what else well, to you, say. You know, it's just this is a. Definitely, I think you're drawing the inference there. You don't necessarily have to finish the thought, but. Um, you, it, 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 as far as I know, until proven otherwise, it's best to come compartmentalize because we're all sort of gathered here in a, in a college football community, both as fans of the sport, enthusiasts of the sport, and then hopefully all as functional, um, empathetic human beings. And so it's best to draw lines around not only the subject matter of how we're talking about this, but, but I don't want to be too pragmatic. I don't want to be too cold. I, I mean, I, I, it's just that. I'm not shocked, and I, and I don't think it speaks ill of you if you asked us this question. You know whether or not he's going to get fired. If that's your first concern, I understand. I, I get it. I'm, I'm not passing judgment. Um, but there's that, and then there's the very human element of this. Um, it's a hell of a lot harder to negotiate the latter than it is the former. Um, <laughs> ask the NCAA. So uh, a couple things to focus on. Um, there will be, there has to be a response from the university on this. Um, as we record this, it's 10.56 Central Time on Wednesday. Um, if you told me that by dinner tonight, or supper as we say, um, that Meyer would be fired, I would not be blown away. If you asked me to bet on it, I would bet against right. that at the moment. Yeah. No, now, literally as we record this, there could be subsequent pieces of information that come out, additional reporting, statements from the university. You know, a lot of people are reporting very early on in this cycle that, hey, Jim Trestle got fired for for covering up players getting free tattoos, and that yep. that bears inclusion in this, you know. Technically, uh, breaking of rules, but yeah, not quite. Well, okay, here, here. Uh, so about an hour ago on Ramsey's, I just I just pulled up his uh, his Twitter profile to see what he was saying. He, he mentioned something about this a couple of weeks ago, and this morning he basically said in re- reference to Meyer, of course he knew. He knew Smith. He knew he was an alcoholic. He knew he, his marriage was in shambles, and he knew that his mentor's grandson was a terrible football coach and that he was protected because of bloodline. Literally everyone knew. I knew, and I wrote around it for six years. He wrote around it, as he later clarifies, because the, you know court records were sealed. There was nothing to go on besides innuendo, and so he didn't write. He wrote around it, but um, this is part of like just anything with a good old boy network, really. You, you, you do your mentors or your, your whatever favor, uh, and those favors can often backfire on you horribly. So, I mean, Urban Meyer is one of the most successful coaches in college football. He's been successful at a few different schools, and he might be, he might be done in because he hired his mentor's grandson a few years ago and then either lied about it or misled about it or whatever – but, I mean, I'm not going to feel sorry for him if it happens, obviously. Uh, there, there will be a point in which I smirk um, at 
members of the national media, the large majority of which, uh, some of whom, because of their connection to Meyer, will rush to defend him or at least stay as silent as humanly possible on the subject. There will be there will be a, a broad justification of this, not only amongst Ohio State fans who, before anybody wants to start it, this is not a, oh, God, they're horrible people. This is This is what happens in sports fandom. This kind of justifying and rectifying, like this is this is the function of the thing. This is what happens. Um, you know, there there'll be a lot of cynicism. I'm curious. You know, again, the NCAA can't really act on this kind of stuff. They are they are toothless, as we and yeah, and I don't want them to because uh, I mean, they are well, toothless. It, and when they try, I guess on a personal opinion, yeah, I don't want them to either. But also, if you're going to legislate certain aspects of morality, well, yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah, be yeah. silent on I others mean, who I think the entirety of I think again, when we act like human beings, you know, you, you, you can't take five hundred bucks in cash, but you know, we we also can't stop you from right. beating a woman or covering up a sexual assault from one of your players. Right? Let, yeah. Let me let me let me specify. I would love that if there were an organization, a top college sports, that could start to handle some of these things. Yeah. But knowing what the NCAA can and can't and really can't handle right now, this does appear to be. A few steps too far for them to probably do things the right way. So I just want to read two things real fast, and then I'm 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 good with this. But I don't have to be a journalist all the time. Um, I don't have to be this objective and cold and impartial or whatever. Let me just read you. Um, uh, so he, I don't want to read. It's just so big. Just go ahead and read Brad's story. But you know, there's a lot of text messages again between herself and Shelly Meyer. Um, there's a there's an incident in which Courtney says that uh, her ex-husband was drunk at a party with Meyer's secretary who had had a fight with her boyfriend. They came home drunk together. He tried to convince Courtney, the ex-wife, to let this, the sec- Meyer's secretary, who was drunk and upset and her boyfriend, stay at their house. Um, there was an argument over that. Courtney was sober. She refused. Um, and then I'm going to read directly from the story. Courtney refused uh, and drove uh, Amy home. Upon returning, quote, a heated argument ensued in the upstairs bedroom. Courtney stated she tried to get Zach out of her bed, which he refused, and then forcefully grabbed her, according to the police report. The, uh, the police report said that Zach Smith, then 25, quote, picked Courtney up by grabbing her T-shirt and threw her against the bedroom wall. It was the Smith's one-year anniversary. One-year wedding anniversary, Sorry. Zach Smith, then in his fourth year on Florida <laughs> staff, was handcuffed and arrested for aggravated battery on a pregnant victim. Meyer said last week at Big Ten Media Days that in 2009, he and, she- he and his wife Shelly, quote, advised for counseling and wanted to help the couple. So I want that to resonate with you, and then I want to read you. Um, I was jumping in and trying to help in Slack this morning, so I, um, there were some discrepancies in the way Meyer's quotes from the Big Ten Media Days were out there so you know we always want to be super specific so uh someone to post the video and i helped transcribe the quotes exactly with all the ums and breaks and everything just because that's how specific you have to be in this moment and there's one thing that kind of pissed me off and again this is not a reporter but this is one of those things that like as a human being pissed me off um about halfway through the his his statement meyer says uh well i'm going to address the 2009 because i've been asked about that in 2009, Zach was an intern, uh, a very young couple. Again, he's mashing up his words as we do when we speak, So, but I'm reading it verbatim. Uh, in 2009, Zach was an intern, a very young couple. As I do many times, as I imagine most coaches or people in leadership positions, you receive a phone call 
the first thing you do is tell your boss, uh, let the experts do their jobs. We're certainly not going to investigate. Uh, it came back to me that what was reported wasn't what actually happened. So Shelly and I both got involved actually because of our relationship with that family and uh, advice for counseling. There's this emphasis on, the, oh, well, you know, they were just a young couple. Uh, let me do the, the filter warning for swear words. So you can, you can scrub 15 <laughs> seconds real fast. That's fucking bullshit. This is the fucking problem that when we talk about abuse, we couch it in these these old 1950s fucking parameters. And it's not okay. Anybody who's in a marriage right now, a civil union committed relationship, whatever, knows that it the shit's hard at the beginning, it's hard in the middle, it's hard throughout you. It, that, that's why you put the work in for the satisfaction. This idea that they were a young couple and they were having a tiff, when we know through police reports and now firsthand quotes from the victim – that's not the same thing as, as having struggles as a young married yeah, you're couple. Have and to couch it like that is fucking inexcusable. You're going to have arguments. Uh, that is not the same thing. There's this weird, and it stems from generations prior, uh, buffing of really terrible details to somehow suggest to us that these are just the kinks that you work out. Um, it's not true. It's not true. I've been married for eight and a half years. I've been in a relationship with my wife for longer than that. Like, it's just not true. You go through incredibly hard things. And let me tell you something. If you need someone to excuse the fact that you're laying hands on your wife in the first year of marriage and making that an excuse, oh, well, you know, it's time we, we haven't matured yet. When the shit gets harder and it's going to, you know, when the kids are sick and the money's tighter and the mortgage is heavier, and you're being pulled in a million different directions, your career plateaus, you name it. Any number, any number of problems that people face every day, um, you know, the fact that you laid hands on your wife in the first year of marriage is not an excuse. What it is is a precedent. And time and statistics and science tells us you're going to do that again. You're going to keep doing that, especially if the other person is still with – you know, the other person's with you um, – Unless there's been major outside intervention, um, it's going to keep happening. This isn't an opinion of mine. This is just stats. It's just uh, we're swimming in gray water right now. But that's okay because I do get to be a human being occasionally. And my reaction to they were just a young married couple was you know, a slight physical revulsion early on, uh, on Wednesday morning. But it again – I'm not trying not – look, I, I am not saber-rattling for anyone to lose their job yet because my gut, going back to the cold-hearted, evil, cynical reporter, Bill, is that I don't think we know everything yet. But by saying that, I'm not discounting what we do know. What we do know as human beings is a pile of bad shit. What, in the media and then more importantly, in it, when you get into the legal definition of what Ohio State might, may or may not terminate him on the grounds for, that to me has yet to be completely – brought to light it always blows my mind that really really smart successful people can do themselves in by with good old boy stuff um protecting people they didn't or doing favors for people they really probably didn't even need to do favors for like earl bruce was still going to be a, a mentor of urban myers for all time even if he didn't hire his grandson to a job he was only you know probably what like all the other stuff aside probably wouldn't qualify for anyway like there's you don't need to do these things and you just get your 
yourself in trouble. Well, I mean that that okay, that's a theory that it was nepotism guiding guiding the right. inaction well, sure. on maybe, this sure. thing. Maybe like maybe he's whatever doesn't matter. Even if he hey, even if he's just a loyal a loyal assistant coach, right? It's it's not worth it, man. It's not worth it. I think I think one thing that major college football and I'm talking about the top. 10 20 programs in the country if especially if you're urban meyer and you've won national titles at multiple places the one and and in 2015 this is this is the landscape all right you've won multiple national titles in the sec you stopped your career you restarted at another powerhouse program a top top legendary program and you won another national title okay what why in the hell would you worry about this I don't know if it's – there are internal chemistry issues that every head coach I talk to mentions about coaching your coaches or the dynamic, the, the dynamic of the family and protecting the family and the visibility and the perception of how you discipline a coach amongst the other coaches and how fast you can lose the ship. But I have a tough fucking time, Bill, thinking that Urban Meyer of all people would somehow lose hold of both his staff – the respect of the people who make things happen around Ohio State, take that as you will, and and his roster, if he shit cans one assistant coach who's beaten his wife. Fair to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can. I, I'm going back further to like why he was hired in the first place. But yes, I mean, that's yeah. This is and he turned it into like I know coaches have kind of a built-in defense mechanism. A lot of us do, where he immediately tried to turn it into a fake news, just a reporter's spin kind of thing, not really what happened, da-da-da-da-da. The way, same way he would do, like, you know, the report of, say, a person, you know, uh, trading gear for tattoos or whatever, um, and, and all these things that aren't domestic violence. You know, he put it, he puts it in that box and, and, and responds accordingly. But it, 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 that's the, I mean, I, I, I get it. These are kind of natural defense mechanisms, but I just it, it gets so gross when you start to lump something like this in with other things you do the fake news thing for that mean that are far less con- consequential to somebody's life. I think there's some golden rule givens here um, and laying hands on women is <laughs> one of them. So it's I think it's it's a it's it, it's simultaneously complicated and nuanced when you talk about the communication routes and who knew what when and the detail and again plausible deniability because we're talking about a corporate structure on a on a moral level it's not that hard at all it usually isn't most of these cases aren't baylor wasn't complicated penn state wasn't complicated what complicates these issues these really i mean almost moral binaries if such a thing exists depending on your philosophy what complicates these issues is always the apparatus. It's always the bureaucracy. It's always the structure that we put around. And every one of those structures, because we always just investigate the same thing, which is a you know a college football program or a conference or something like that, it's always the same thing. It's always a revenue-generating, success-generating apparatus that you're trying to protect first. Yeah. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Bill! <laughs> we got it. We got to dig have out. A I don't know how we're going to dig out, but we got yeah, we got to dig out. We're gonna we're gonna dig out by just it's we're making a we're just lurching to it into a different direction, uh, despite how awkward the segue is. Um, first, Jim Harbaugh thinks chicken is a nervous meat uh, and doesn't like his players eating. Man, meat. you 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 went uh, for the most jarring of transitions. I appreciate that. 
Yes. And I, and I feel bad too. Cause I mean, Jim Harbaugh, Urban Meyer, big 10, big 10 rival rival. I don't mean it like that at all. That was that, that all is, is, is complete. Uh, you know, well, it almost makes it not a coincidence that I went with it, but I, I it was just pure coincidence that that was the case, but we're just going to jump straight out and into a much happier boat, which is, um, our friends, well, not our friends. Uh, this guy called Spen- named Spencer Hall at, at Everyday Should Be Saturday. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, wrote today about Jim Harbaugh's Matrix, or yesterday about Jim Harbaugh's Matrix of Meat by Temperament. Uh, you know, this this all stems from the story that came out. Who was it? Was it Wilton Speet uh-huh. who it was. Uh, said it originally? Um, now that he can speak about Jim Harbaugh, he has transferred out of the program, uh, to a much different kind of weird coach, uh, Chip Kelly. Uh, he, he was quoted saying, um, uh, Harbaugh pulled speed aside and told him not to eat chicken, a protein that is considered fairly safe by nutritionists. When speed asked why Harbaugh said, because it's a nervous bird. He thinks some type of sickness injected its way into the human population when people began eating white meats instead of beef and pork, uh, <clears throat> pork's white meat. And, and he <laughs> believes that a hundred percent. I have a question. Are, would um, you consider a fighting cock a nervous bird? Is anger nerve? Uh, I see. So um, I, I've been di- – we, we, we moved the in-laws out to the farm they bought a long time ago. They finally had to actually move out Hey, when you say that you weekend. moved your in-laws to so a farm, that has a, a certain time. connotation. <laughs> no, a literal farm. Um, but they have a couple guinea who kind of, you know, eat the ticks and stand outside. They're basically the, the, you know, the house alarm system because they yell like morons at absolutely anything. Um, and you can't get within 30 feet of them. They'll just run, run, hide behind a bush and start yelling at you again. Um, those are nervous birds. In comparison, uh, no chicken I have ever encountered uh, has been as stupid and nervous and, um, and just neurotic as these stupid guinea are. But guess what? We don't eat guinea because they don't taste very good. So I, I think mm-hmm. if chicken tastes very good, that means it's not too nervous uh, because, you know, it's edible. Cows get nervous all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, one of my best yeah. friends grew up on a farm and, and uh, his brother has a farm. And every time there's a storm, they have to go out and make sure that the, the fence is reinforced. Not, <laughs> right. because of anything, not because of anything to do with the storm damage of the fence because the stupid cows will try and plow through it because they hear thunder and lightning. Or here, I guess here, here thunder and sea lightning. Uh, yeah. So I mean, cows are dumb and nervous, but they're tasty. So I think we should go back to the way we have been doing things, which is that the animal tastes good and it's somewhat acceptable. I mean, like, hey, to quote a famous film, sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I'll never know. Um, you know, within within boundaries, chicken tastes good. Yeah, I don't think it makes you nervous. Uh, what's so the only thing I have really to add to this stupid Jim Harbaugh story and a litany of I got a couple people uh, when we uh, we were first kicking it around laughing about it on Twitter a couple people accusing me that this was another fabrication in a line of anti Harbaugh media conspiracy which I oh enjoyed go, go blue um, but what the other thing I enjoyed was that, like this was um this was like a dog whistle for stupid people too. There are people like even in the, the national media. I, I saw this like being bouncing around Twitter the other night before I went to bed. That people were like, "I mean, hey, we don't know. We don't know if emotions can transfer through meat." And I'm like, "What? We do. We do. There are plenty of things we don't know that we don't necessarily need to know, or there there are much bigger priorities at least." Um, I mean, I'm not naming names, but there are some people that I consider to be like rational f- folks with, I mean, whose jobs. It is to talk to people on a mass, you know, mass communicate to America 
for a living. That's that's kind of terrifying that <laughs> folks are out there thinking you can. I mean, look, whatever cheeseburger I'm eating, must that cow must have been pissed off all the time. I, 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 I've had a series of pissed off cows I must have consumed in the last I don't know thirty years. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't really consider myself a nervous person, and I eat. I mean, I would say a normal amount of chicken. I, I really I can't even create a segue. You put the entire ACC in one tier. Let's just talk about it. Well, hold on, hold on. First, we gotta—we don't have to react to this, but I just want to read it and I want to inhale really deeply and and feel really good about it. Um, last night, the the other stupid story the, the, uh, from ESPNMediaZone.com, uh, ESPN PR wing. Elk Grove Village, using its business slogan "Makers Wanted," oh, yeah. has been, has been announced as the title sponsor of the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl to be played December twenty first, twenty eighteen, in Nassau, Bahamas. The Makers Wanted tagline serves as a call to action for Elk Grove Village's thriving community and the thousands of businesses that are based there. Uh, Elk Grove Village is home to the largest industrial park in the United States, spurred by our village's commitment to being beyond business friendly, said Elk Grove Village Mayor Craig Johnson. Our relationship with the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl and ESPN events is a perfect opportunity to use college football to share our message with the entire country. We were impressed by how the bowl game has been developed in the Bahamas over the past four years, and we share in the excitement that this event brings to their community. I don't, I'm not going to read the rest. I'm just going to let that sink in. It has to be some sort of tax dump, right? Or something that, that there has to be a. And it, I mean, and maybe somebody's getting rid of some campaign and, contributions in, in Illinois or I don't know, something like that. Somebody's trying to make some money. And, and, and more viscerally, a reason to go to the Bahamas a few times for meetings. So, um, Anyway, this is for all the stu- for the bad stupidity. Just use this as a reminder that this sport has delightful stupidity too, and that's never going to go away. All right, quit stalling. ACC. Quit stalling. I swear to God, quit stalling. You put nine teams in one tier. Put nine teams in one tier. That's not even a tier. I post. almost put eleven teams. I almost all put right, eleven so teams. In let me do the countdown real fast. But uh, please read everything. Bill slash college football. Tier four makes total sense. Virginia and Syracuse, although some would argue that Syracuse is on a little bit of a faster come up. Tier one makes total sense. It's Clemson. All right. Tier it's two, actually funny you say that because Virginia is the one that made the bowl last year in, in the coach's second year, not Syracuse. But. Tier two, Billiam, makes total sense. It's Miami and Florida State. Given the situation, the way Miami ended the season, Florida State going through the coaching change, albeit both with very talented rosters. I think everybody's fine with Miami 2, Florida State 3. It makes sense. It's fine. Then you put the whole damn conference in another tier. Tier 3 from 12 to 4. Number 12, UNC. Number 11, Georgia Tech. Number 10, Pittsburgh. Number 9, Boston College. 8, Duke. 7, VTech. And probably, yeah, since this has been published, VTech has lost another defensive player. Yeah, no, but he wasn't anybody expected to play a lot. Six, anyway. yeah, he was a freshman. Six, Wake Forest. Five, Louisville. Four, NC State. Uh, what? So what you mean to tell me is that there's not that much difference between number four, NC State, and number 12, North Carolina. Yes, that is exactly what that means. Any of these teams. Oh, yeah, you know, if one of these teams won their division, that would be a surprise. Although, I mean, less so for the teams like – well, actually, no. I mean, most the, the top three teams in that tier are in the ACC Atlantic with Clemson and Florida State. So, never mind. Uh-huh. Uh, any of those, any of those teams, if they finish second in their division, I wouldn't really bat an eye. And I think the biggest pushback comes to UNC at the very bottom, 
uh, because they were bad last year, but they were awesome two years ago. They were top 30 for two straight years, and then they went on a youth movement and got everybody hurt and stunk, and now everybody's healthy and more experienced. Um, any of those teams could go 8-4, and four and it wouldn't be a surprise. 8-4, and 5-3 and three in conference, tied for second in the division. Any of those teams could do that, and it would not be a surprise. So they're I, all on the same tier. And, like, and, again, I almost put Syracuse and Virginia in that tier, too, because – you know, Virginia made a damn bowl last year, and Syracuse um, was in decent position until they collapsed late, uh, you know, with depth issues and whatnot. And uh, but they beat Clemson, and and you know beat Virginia Tech the year before. They've got potential, and, but I think their ceiling is more like six and six or seven and five instead of eight and four or nine and three. So that's the only way I could really differentiate and put them in a different tier. <sighs> a couple of years ago, I started to coin the phrase cul-de-sac, ACC cul-de-sac, right? The the not historically overpriced mansions, you know, like a, a true mansion, but more of the McMansion in the high-end suburb about 15 miles away from town, right? Um, you've done well for yourself. You're not actually rich, but you bought a nice home in the cul-de-sac. There's too many houses in this subdivision. The only way that this concept of, of, a, of a group of ACC teams that helps raise the conference's profile by being – predictably competent is that if the wheat and the chaff separate between number four and number 12 here. Now, one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to pick which teams need to do this. I know which teams I think could have a better shot of doing this than, than others. I could do that, but I'm not going to sit here and try and figure out because it is a soup right now. We've laughed about it, about how, I mean, this literally could be seven and five from four to 12. Yeah. I don't know if that's mathematically possible, but it's close. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe there might be a couple six and sixes, but yeah, it is it is uh, certainly conceivable. Yes. So I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna tell you right now. If you strip away coaches and situations, and and you just look at the bare facts of each program, like yes, I believe it is easier to be an upper tier team at Georgia Tech. I'm not talking about the option or Paul Johnson. I just mean Georgia Tech sitting in Atlanta than I do than I think it is at Boston College. I think that's fair to say. Okay. So if you go through and do that, like I think, I think Virginia Tech is an easier place to win football games at than Wake Forest. Yes. Yeah. In theory. But you have this soup. Um, we, had, we, we had expected the cul-de-sac to emerge. Miami shot up under Richt. I think the issue here is this. We, we still, two episodes in a row now, uh, are going to mention the fact that we just don't know what to say about Virginia Tech yet. And we are, I personally am very wary of drawing any conclusions or setting the bar in any at any level, I don't really know. Um, we, we'll have to we'll have to come to terms with that eventually because I do think that they help define this next set of of the ACC that is not Clemson or the two Florida schools. Um, Louisville's in there, right? And then, really, honestly, Bill, until I think until Paul Johnson leaves Georgia Tech, um, you have to pick one more school. So really what we need is Virginia Tech to start being more Virginia Tech-ish. We need Louisville to – I wouldn't necessarily replicate the Lamar era. I mean, what did they finish last year, 7-5? and five? Uh, 8-5. and 8-4 eight, eight eight and 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 or something? Yeah, 8-5. and five. Um, I think you need a separation here. Maybe Virginia Tech, Louisville, and maybe NC State. I – Dave Dorn was courted by a lot of schools. A lot of people believe in Dave Dorn. I'm not really. I know. I know I'm not really seeing the problem here. Like what? 
you got this, basically what this is saying is, I mean, yeah, it's could, just perception bias. Well, I, I it's just perception. I don't care about perception. Um, I, you know, the perception for me, from me here is that this conference right now, until Florida State gets its act together, might only have one to two national title contenders. But Florida State also just made a really exciting hire and could get back there. So. If you know, with current trajectories, this conference right now is looking like it could have three, if not title contenders, then at least top 15 level teams in Clemson, Miami, and Florida State. Uh, and then basically somewhere between eight and 11 other top 40 caliber programs. That's not a problem to me. I, I mean, perceptions, whatever. So some teams finish, some really good teams finish six and six. When that, when that happens in the SEC, we consider that an awesome thing. And so I, I, I'm, I honestly, I don't see a problem. Um, but you know, the, the coastal, the, the coastal jokes die hard. So I realized that if a bunch of teams finish six and six in the ACC coastal, we will not assume that that's high quality right there. Um, but to me, this is a sign that the ACC could be as healthy as it's ever been this year. So, you know, um, I think it's, I, I think it's, you, you asked why are we, why are we talking about what, you know, why are we worried about this? I think the league itself wants to continue to rehabilitate its football image and it, and they're elated that they have a, a program that can go really punch for punch with with anybody in Clemson right now. They have total total confidence that you know Florida and my I'm sorry Florida State and Miami will will do the same, you know, and those three will kind of wax and wane at the very top. But I think the difference is that when you look at the Southeastern Conference, there's also that like 4 through 6 or 7 where they can jump up to a 10 win status or an 11 win status in any given year. And that's the, those are the schools that come in as big hitters on the bowl schedule. Those are the schools that come in when people say our top eight teams could be your, you know, like that kind of, and and again, this is all Luddite thinking in my opinion, but it's still, it still dominates a lot of decision makers in this sport, unfortunately. But I mean, and so I counter to that. Yeah. And, and I realize I don't need to make a counter because you are talking hypothetically, but my counter to that would be that in the last like three or four years, Georgia Tech has, has won an Orange Bowl. Virginia Tech uh, got back on track for, briefly. I mean, this year is a pause button of sorts. NC State just had a really, really disappointing nine win season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not the SEC. It's never going to be the SEC in terms of perception. Uh, but I think this conference is extremely healthy. Um, I'm going to transition to a couple questions that I got regarding the ACC because it seems like a very good place to do it. Uh, number one, uh, this is along those lines. Those line, we've kind of discussed this to a certain degree, but Jared Colville at jcolville12 asks, we've talked as ad nauseum about the ACC middle class. Uh, of those teams, which is the most likely to make a permanent jump to the top tier and who is most likely to fall back down to the cellar? Um, so to answer the second part first, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm betting you have the same opinions here. If we just step back and ask, like, no, not how is each program doing, but just which is which programs are the hardest jobs, the most likely to fall back to the cellar would be Duke and Wake Forest, right? It has um, to be. You know, in, the, theoretically, David Cutcliffe isn't going to coach forever. He might prove me wrong about that. But um, when he doesn't, what we've seen is, is his former assistants that go elsewhere don't necessarily thrive. Uh, Scotty Montgomery, maybe Jim Knowles will, will will prove that different now that he's at Oklahoma State uh, as defensive coordinator. Ole Miss fans, but there isn't going to be some hate you right now. But um, there is no natural successor um, for for Cutcliffe at Duke. Um, yes, yeah, so, and by the way, former Duke former Cutcliffe assistants at Duke, I should say, uh, to specify. But um, 
So yeah, I mean that's obviously going to be a nervous situation. Maybe they maybe they make a killer replacement hire, but there's not a natural one there. And Wake Forest is just, I mean, a tiny alumni base, yeah. um, facilities that are neat uh, and clean and pretty, and it's a cool campus and all that. But it's still just they're just dealing from a, 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 a you know they, they have a tougher deck, uh, a tougher hand, I should say. I screwed up my metaphors. Uh, so that's always going to be a, t- a tricky situation too. So that, that's the easy answer there. But, uh, but let me ask you of the programs so you just kind of mentioned it a little bit, but of those programs of those nine programs in tier three, or, and if you want to include Syracuse and Virginia too, I don't know what, there are two different ways to frame this question. It's basically like of those programs currently, which one has the most, the best odds of like with their head coach and all that of, of making a quote unquote permanent jump. Uh, or you could just step back and view that with the same lens. I just viewed Duke and Wake Forest and say, of these programs, which has the most going for it to where if they got their ducks in a row, they could be top 15. I guess let's go to the latter. I feel like we've covered the former there. So let's go to the latter. Of the, like Resource-wise, which of these programs may, it, it could become a national? 10 years from now is a hmm. top-tier program right alongside Florida State. And uh, I would Two years ago, I would have said Louisville. Let's see how this – you know, the ground is shifting under their yeah. feet, uh, but let's, I'll still throw them in. Right. And it could be, that, it, yeah, that could be, Louisville could be fine, by the way. We just have to yeah. see it now. Uh, Louisville, uh, Virginia Tech, and then I, I maintain the, I'm of the quiet group of people that just really thinks that Georgia Tech could be something amazing. More so than like even what NC State has cooking now. So that, that that's my answer. And then also, I think North Carolina is a great job. Yeah. But yeah, at some point you have to like wonder like, okay, they never really break through uh, to, or when they do, they immediately fall backwards. Like, is there something structural there? But no, the, I mean, in terms of potential, uh, you know, they have loads of it there and always have. Um, the other question here. I think right now the issue with, well, the issue with North Carolina right now is that what a lot of people are talking about in that region is the Carolina schools got finally stepped up their competency but it was at the exact same time that the region got deeper with talent. And then yeah. therefore all of the power programs came in from the North and the South and the East. So, and, and keep in mind, by the way, Clemson you, now in the Carolinas, you have a national title contender in Clemson. I know they're barely in the Carolinas in maybe like a mood and philosophical sense. And they're, you know, right. cause they're essentially right up against Atlanta, but like they, they count and they're sucking up a lot of that uh, in that region. And then also, I think North Carolina, North Carolina state wake, all those are like, they're seeing top and even upper tier talent just get sucked away by so many SEC and Big Ten schools. Yeah, we had that conversation a little bit in Works Slack too yesterday as it pertains to Georgia and Florida. Go figure that we were talking about Florida in our college football Slack room um, with, uh, you know, 68 Florida grads. But, um, well, we'd like to talk about seven and five programs. <laughs> but, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, and it, better yet, we like to talk about four and seven programs. Um, but just generally, your your yeah your neighborhood matters and so it's kind of funny to think about like I, so I've already written tomorrow's Florida preview um, and by the way I actually really liked it you should read it even if you're not a Florida fan because the intro is based around like a long time ago I did a thing at Football Outsiders where I looked at like when a when a coach leaves or is pushed out like how what conclusions can we reach about like what happens next and conclusion one is if you can find a guy with BCS well, what was then BCS conference uh, head coaching experience, he's slightly more likely to succeed than other people like the, the, the hot upshot upstart coordinator or whatever. Um, just like it, it's such a crapshoot, but if you can find a reasonably successful power five guy, 
then you're slightly more likely to succeed. You know, check with Dan Mullen on that one. But the other thing is about like regressing to historical norms um, and how like when 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 you change coaches, you're probably pretty likely to shift back towards like your historical average. Um, so if you were overachieving and lose your coach, then you're probably going down. If you were underachieving and change your coach like Florida just did, then you're likely to move up. Um, I kind of I, I don't know. I kind of liked it. Uh, so read it as a standalone piece, even if you don't give a crap about Florida. But the point being, like Florida might have just made the most insanely logical hire they could have possibly made um, in Dan Mullen because he's got the Power Five conference. Not only does he have P5 experience, he has SEC experience, and he just overachieved dramatically or raised expectations that maybe the second hardest uh, SEC job behind Vanderbilt. Um so, I mean, he, he, he thrived on paper. He was, you know, obviously a very successful offensive coordinator at Florida and all that's great, except um, now Kirby smarts at Georgia. And so the neighborhood has been completely shifted. Like it's not hard at all for me to see Emil and creating a, like getting Florida back to a top 15 level. Um, but while Meyer and Spurrier had to deal with kind of a top 10 or 15 Georgia, now you got to deal with like a top three Georgia, maybe, maybe, you know, he still has to prove it over and over and over again but you might now be dealing with your own Alabama in the SEC East. And that changes expectations. It changes how crazy your fans will go. If you're only a top 15 program, uh, it changes a lot. But anyway, this is about the ACC. I was going to say, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because as we, it'll be in the future where we do the, the final top end of the SEC episode as you wrap up previews, but <sighs> Florida is, um, you know, I made a lot of jokes about Auburn, with uh with alabama and georgia being what they are but i think mm. uh florida's in a very unique and strange position relative to florida and i think their fans yep. are um they're going to have to adjust in a way in which they didn't expect and so i think it'll fundamentally alter the that program for uh, maybe the next decade um and again i'm not talking about a doomsday scenario where florida football is a you know a uh, yeah, it's just different. program it's just going to be different it's going things are going to yeah. change uh definitely bill sponsor time Yep. Did you know that 66% of men, you, you, you as a man, I'm as a man, we're both men, but 66% of us, they lose their hair by age 35. I don't have to worry about that. I think I'm, I'm still 26. 36 or 37, but, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just now 26. So I don't have to worry about it. Uh, when you start to notice your hair loss, of course it is too late and it's very much easier to keep the hair that you have than to try and replace the hair that you've lost. So most people are noticing a slow creep backwards. Um, and of course, you know, maybe you have a bald spot in the back. Maybe you have the hairline leaving up front. It doesn't matter. Um, you can check out for Again, that is for It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, for skincare and for sexual wellness for men. Uh, thanks to science, baldness can be optional because for hymns connects you with real doctors that have real medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. Um, they have well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions that help you keep your hair, your current hair that's on your head. Uh, there's no weird truck stop style snake oil pills or gas station kind of, you know, uh, shady, you know, herbal nutrient kind of things. Um, these are prescription solutions and they are backed by real science. Best of all, there's no waiting room. There's no awkward doctor visits where they have to say, hey, look at my hair or look at the fact that, you know, my junk isn't working. Uh, you can save hours not really talking to anybody about your junk not working by just going to 4 It's very easy. You're going to answer a few quick questions. Then a real-life doctor is going to review 
what you've talked about and prescribe you products that are then shipped directly to your door. Um, right now, Bill, did you know this? Right now, podcast ain't played, not a, podcast ain't played nobody listeners. You can get a trial month of 4Hims for just $5 while supplies last. Go to 4Hims.com. Again, 4Hims.com. Uh, this is a $100 value, over $100. If you went to the doctor, it would cost you over $100. You can get it for $5 for the first month right now. Go to 4Hims.com slash nobody. Again, that is 4Hims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash nobody. 4Hims.com slash nobody. Use Hims. And the only thing you'll need from behind the gas station counter are those borderline illegal caffeine pills. So it just cuts down, you know, the number of pills you have to take. Get your hair back, get your junk working, enjoy your trucker speed. And before we change gears, because I have started SEC previews, by the way, but before we change gears, um, another question from uh, hashtag ask PAPN. Actually, he didn't use the hashtag, but I saw it anyway. Not allowed. Uh, at exter- <laughs> That's right. Veto. Uh, at external tangent, I just want to address this because I've gotten asked a few times. Um, your conference wrap-up posts always include a graph of 2017 S&P Plus versus 2018 projection. Uh, and the projections are almost always better for, than 27, 2017 actuals for each team. Is there a systemic explanation or, for that or am I just making up patterns? Um, you're not – well, it was that way for the ACC. Um, and it's probably – been more improvement than regression for the other power conferences too i don't remember for sure but i know the acc like 13 teams are projected to improve a little bit um meanwhile if you go back to the sunbelt project it's not everybody because if you go back to like the sunbelt projections most of the teams that were any decent whatsoever are projected to regress that's just a that's a function of sustainability at the small school level it's a function of having uh, it's majorly a function of having recruiting rankings in these projections um I don't say that to like discount it, like just apply that, you know, just ignore that or whatever. I, I do that because it makes for better proje- uh, projections because teams like a, a team that's recruiting at a top 40 level, but play, but was number 85 last year still has that talent and is, is at least from a, you know, projection standpoint, likely to improve uh, no matter what, you know, coaching changes and all that stuff doesn't really matter for these projections. Meanwhile, if you're Appalachian state and you recruit at like the top hundred level, and you played at a top 25 level last year, it's probably going to be hard to maintain that. Um, especially when you start to take into account, now Appalachian State didn't lose their coach, but usually at the lower levels, when you play at a, a level higher than, when you punch at a higher weight class, um, you're probably going to lose your coach. And therefore, like what I was just saying about regressing to norms, um, you're probably going to fall pretty severely when that happens. So that's, that, so that's yeah, that, that's basically just a function of the system with the Power Five conference teams. The ones that were at the bottom are almost always going to be projected to improve, even Kansas, uh, simply because recruiting rankings are are part of it. And nobody, no Power Five team except maybe Kansas sometimes uh, recruits like at a barely top one hundred level. Um, so they're going to always be projected to improve at least a little. Boom. Questions. A lot of them. We got a lot. Um, Shout out to the Reddit too. We're going to include those guys this week. So yeah, we've been. I've forgotten that two straight weeks, but we're going to do it now. I am loath to start soliciting questions on multiple platforms because there is no way to keep a track of everything. But we're going to give it a <laughs> shot. Um, uh, here's here's one. Uh, Janky Tree Topper. That's at Janky TT, of course. You know, because you want to brand that. Um, Saban Orr, years before. I don't even understand this one. He goes Saban Orr, uh, years before Mullen narks on Kirby. Um, I would. I would say uh, not Saban because I'm sure that's already happening, Janky Tree Topper. 
Jagger Dopper. Um, let's get all the saving ores out of the way, Bill. You ready? Saving ore. This is from JP Swain. Uh, saving ore number of months. Meyer stays at OSU if McMurphy's report is true. Um, yeah. So uh, this is the one time. I, I kind of hate the, taking. This is the one time we'll address all this. Um, I am not setting odds on this yet. I don't know. It could be the end of the day. It could not happen at all. Both outcome, neither outcome would, would surprise me. How's that? Yeah, I hate taking a fun function. Uh, at least some people still think saving ore is fun. Uh, and applying it to this. Hey, by the way, I solicited. I, I I solicited on last week's show. I said, if you guys are tired of saving ore, let me know. I had nothing but positive responses oh, for really? saving no. ore. I, I got so, I, I got a few. Maybe uh, it, there was at least one DM. I think, but um, I got a few who basically said to said, get yeah. rid of it. Yeah, said yeah, I'm I'm bored. Um, but wait, so um, the majority of people. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on. I solicited this question. The majority and and every single person said, yeah, absolutely, do it. It's fun. And and. What your slice of the nerd pie is tired of it or what? Yes. Really? Well, I need those nerds to at me. We're going to keep doing it for a little while. I do. At some point, we could change it. For, like since Saban or basically needs two and a half, maybe three. We could technically have another premise, but it's if nothing else, it's a it's a fun device for talking about things like Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. All right, we're going to jump in the. Here's the deal. You're going to have to join the Reddit if you haven't already. It's free, but uh, I'm going to put the ultimate vote up on the Reddit here soon. Uh, Connor Lynch, if you're an AD, how much does a coach's public comments impact their leash? Mostly reference Bubba Cunningham slash Fedora slash UNC here. He also said, also put me on team. I'm cool with calling it a day on Saban Ors. So I did have one person in Connor Lynch that said that he wanted to get rid of Saban Or. Um, it, I think it matters a lot. Um, I was laughing more at Fedora's, uh, we, we talked about this last week. I was laughing more at Fedora's decision to go the way he did. Um, I think that's something, and maybe I'm biased here because this is what I do for a living. That's something that we sort of open up and talk about with like maybe one reporter in a calmer environment during a longer interview where you can add a little context, but doing it in that environment was, that was a, that was a choice. I don't think it's going to affect his job standing because I think a lot of people are just like. I, I, you know, this isn't popular to say, but I think a lot of people do understand that there's a lot of unknowns and nuance involved with that head trauma stuff. And so it's not like he, you know, it wasn't like he got up and read a soliloquy made up of, you know, nothing but racial slurs. So, uh, so I think basically what this does uh, with things like Fedora is an okay example. Basically it's, uh, it shrinks your leash slightly and, and God, this is terrible. Uh, using Florida as the example, because it was fresh in my head, Jim McElwain last year, he didn't get fired specifically for, for, for performance. He was underperforming. And because he did that weird thing about death threats that weren't provable and all that, that, that gave them like a, the extra um, card to play to get him out. So it, it's almost like if it, so Fedora, I mean, I just said, they'll probably be a lot better this year. If they aren't, if they go three and nine again, um, and I, I don't know what his contract situation is like or how big his buyout is, but let's say he has like a $30 million buyout. They could use those comments as like an extra way to try to get that thing bought down. And that's just, that's the way this kind of works. And it's, it's gross and, and kind of stupid, but that's how Fedora's comments would be used against him just as an extra thing. If they're kind of wanting to fire him, but they don't want to pay as much. It's kind of a mess because it, it can go either way. Like Brett Bielema was was on the Nick Saban train of like, is this how we want to play football? We're killing people by running a hurry up. And right. like, he didn't get fired for that years later. He got fired for not winning football games. So it can be used against you. It could also be totally ignored. Right. No, yeah, no. If, if, he, if he goes nine and three, they'll ignore it entirely. It'll be completely forgotten. Um, where are we going next? Near you. Um, 
I addressed this one on Twitter already, but just to address it here too, uh, at Finn Cooley 16, what would you do if the team S and P had as number one at the end of the year, did not win the college football playoff, but used your system to claim a national championship UCF style. Uh, as I pointed oh, that would out, be awesome. As I pointed out, I would go to that city. I would hang that banner myself. I would absolutely. Oh, we're getting in the parade. I'm getting oh, wasted. My oh my God. And, and, uh, then our, our friend, uh, Stephen uh, Allen, uh, Real D. Anconia, points out that uh, technically 2016 Alabama could claim the 2016 national title with that. That is not as fun, but I'd go to Tuscaloosa and I would hang that banner and I would go, do that parade all the same because I am shameless. Mm, all right, I'm scrolling through on uh, on Reddit. You can go to r slash PAPN, which by the way, if you're a member of the community, you're called a mid-major enthusiast. I see you. I see you. That's funny. Um. God, of course, Wisconsin fans got here first. Um, then followed quickly by Nebraska. <laughs> um, all right, how about this? All Hawkeyes go to hell. As much as I like Fleck, as much as I like the Fleck hire for Minnesota, it feels like a short-term solution. As most Big Ten West schools thrive with decades-old systems and long-tenured coaches, will Minnesota have one or two great years in flame out, or was this actually building for the future? I have no reason to think it couldn't be building for the future. I will say this, Mr. All Hawkeyes go to hell. At a certain point, a coach who is building and and is achieving success on a nominal level is going to evaluate the school he's at and think, "Can can I maintain this? Can I continue to do this here? Are they receptive to creating the changes that get rid of those, the decades old systems? You know, that's, it really becomes more of a question of the school rather than the coach after a while. So if PJ, let's just say PJ, how many, what did they win last year, Bill? Like four, five, I think. Okay. So let's say they win six this year. They win seven next year. They win eight. It's weird. I, you know, actually, as I say that, I don't know if you're allowed to do that anymore. Just win one, one at a time like that. So let's say maybe they win seven this year and eight next year. How about that? Um, I I think given the Minnesota the circumstances of, the, of Minnesota and their and what they have and what they don't have that that is building a pretty significant amount of equity to start instituting some policy changes be it in admissions be it hey more funding for this or or less of that or whatever um, I I personally think that that's the time in which PJ gets to go to the administration and say hey we need to do this this and this um, and their reception to that is really sort of what colors the future in so many instances. And I, I want to make clear too, like PJ Fleck is is young and has boundless energy and and you know rose boats and all that. His system isn't exactly. It, this isn't some like crazy anti Big Ten system that he's trying to implement here. He he runs the ball a lot. His one of his best players at Western Michigan was like a two hundred thirty pound five eleven running back. Um, that was a huge part of their success uh, last year. His best offensive player. Um, well, it might have been a receiver, actually, but second guess best was probably running back Rodney Smith, who's 5'11", 210, very big tennis. Um, there's nothing about his system like and his recruiting success that he had last year. I mean, he wasn't signed in a top 15 class. It was kind of like his success, it looks like recruiting in Minnesota is still going to be within kind of the realm of Minnesota-ish, not like suddenly top 10, but you know, top 30, potentially maybe top 25 or whatever. His biggest wins in recruiting were on the offensive line last year in this last recruiting Mm -hmm. class so i mean he's kind of building a big 10 program there's nothing saying that you know this this old this new flashy style or whatever can't work because i mean it's a pretty big 10 system that he's building it seems like it could work very well in minnesota 
Uh, Fast Allen, Godfrey, what should I get TJ for his wedding? Uh, TJ, as he goes on to say, is the frack engineer that you interviewed me about Nebraska for Hope on the High Plains, which is a story I wrote about Wyoming in 2014. I think it was before it was when Dave Christensen was still the head coach. Also, why haven't you two confirmed that you're going to the Wyoming New Mexico State game in Las Cruces on August 25th? I was going to go, but TJ's getting married that day. Um, <laughs> we had multiple questions about this being the PAPN bowl. Um, well, first off, congratulations to TJ. Second off, I'm not getting him anything yet because I didn't get an invitation to the wedding, and you know where to find me. Um, third off, uh, we can I can pull a lot of creative maneuvering when it comes to SB Nation. <laughs> I've earned I've earned a good bit of clout in this company. I have no idea. Uh, actually, no, I have a very good idea. I have no chance of uh, of being able to lay down that ace card and say Bill and I need to go to the Wyoming New Mexico State game on August twenty fifth. Um, so that's why I we're mean, not going. I'm sure we can go. Uh, it's just we will go on. We our would own just have time. to pay for it, right? It's just not something I tend to do. Oh, uh, actually, I will not be there because I will be in Vegas with Bud Elliott at the football. Uh, I don't remember the acronym exactly, but there's a football betting conference. Uh, you will hear more about oh, wow. it in the coming weeks. I, I don't think I'm spilling any sort of beans that shouldn't be spilled right now, but I will be in Vegas. I, you know, that said, I will absolutely be watching this game and it's actually awesome that I'll be in Vegas because it's at like 10 PM local time back in God's country or 9 PM or whatever. Uh, but it'll only be like 7 PM out West. So I, I won't, you know, have fallen asleep in a, in a chair by then. The shutdown forecast subreddit has a thousand forty three subscribers, and we only have three hundred and twenty six. Well, this is also the first time we've mentioned it, so <sighs> if we do if we do our job, they they will do their job. There's no greater American maxim than it pays to be stupid. It pays, so, it pays so, to be so a comedy stupid. podcast. So, well, let me know when that turns into a comedy podcast. Um, okay, back on Twitter. Shakar, we gotta have a talk. Um, <laughs> See, well, he hadn't he, he hadn't posted in a while. Yeah, where he have was you busy, been? So he came out strong. For, okay, first off, Shakar, I want to know where you've been. Second off, this is getting a bit ridiculous. Um, Shakar, uh, I, I mean, just completely bombed the Ask PAPN mentions. And the problem is, when Shakar asks a bunch of questions, they're all good. So we're just gonna pick a couple. They're good, yeah. Um, uh, man, this is gonna be hard. Where do I want to go at with hashtag Ask Shakar? Um. Hmm. I like this one. How's this one, Bill? Is there, here, here's a bit of a curveball. Who will be the 2023 college football champion? He said, yes, 2023 <laughs> wasn't a typo. Um, Clemson. Clemson? 2023. You could bet on any, I mean, any of the new coaches at, at formerly top programs always feels like the safest bet. So like Chip Kelly at UCLA, Willie Taggart at Florida state, Tom Herman at Texas, like instinctively you go there, but I'm just going to say Alabama. That'll be, that'll be Saban's farewell run, right? Didn't he just get like a five-year extension or something like that? So, I mean, I guess, or he'll just be more, more machine now than man. Um, all right. One more Shakur. Um, I like this one. Uh, what's the likelihood of integrating more rugby players into college football? Uh, parentheses, likely Mountain West or Pac-12 from Oceana? Oceana. Uh, I, I hope. Hi. I hope. That would be um, awesome. Possible. 
It's it's possible. Um, right now, it's a need basis, and they don't think that they need to. And so, the first, I think, the first time you see a program incorporate even one or two to, to any level of success, you'll see a bunch of like smaller tier G fives do it. The problem is you got to get out there and recruit them, spend the money, and um, now if we're talking punters, it's, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. We're talking punters, although that could be as much Aussie rules as rugby. Um, that's right. already we've already had quite a few, so that'll just continue. Hopefully, um, Jeremy Laws. Here's a softball on a tough day. Um, who has the best in-game experience for the media, and then also fans that you have been to? I think I think Jeremy means like the fans treating the media nice. The weirdest thing about being in Tuscaloosa is you can be at a restaurant before the game, six hours before the game, and eating, and someone will walk up to you and know who you are. And I mean that happens. That's happened to me in multiple places or whatever. But like in Tuscaloosa, your just as a rank and file sports writer, your 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 Q rating or whatever is like super high. It's creepy. It's weird. They're just that knowledgeable, um, especially if you've ever said anything negative. <laughs> um, best in game experience for the media. Uh, I guess I have to answer this. Yeah, one. I, say, um, I can give an answer, but you have a deeper. How many press boxes have you been in? Oh. Uh, I don't even like ten, ten to ten to fifteen. It's always a food really It's always a food relating. It's like who feeds you the best. I mean, the Rose Bowl is sort of the answer, um, but that's not a team. Well, UCLA, um, yeah, you, know, you can pull a technical. Get fed really well. I mean, I will say this: like you get fed really well at LSU. Um, you get fed really well at a lot of the land grant schools. Really ball out. Like Penn State has a horrific press box, but they put out a lot of good food. Um, Kansas state was like super hospitable when I was there for Auburn. That may be close to my answer is, is Kansas state when it comes to fans and it comes to just people at tailgates kind of see that you don't have one, you know, colors for one of the other teams and they, Hey, what are you doing here? I'm a sports writer. They're like, Oh man, welcome to Manhattan. Hope you love it. Yeah. Like, um, I think I'll just go ahead and answer K state. Um, you know, it's hard to separate like the gripes and grumbles and stuff from, from various schools but like you know i don't think anybody cares how well i get treated at a game and i I cover less and less actual games so it doesn't really matter but i just always think of like food parking and like ease of basic functions like does the wi-fi work and stuff like that i'm not really one of those guys who's going to come in and complain and feel entitled but um yeah clemson needs to step up their parking lot game you have to walk two miles yeah you do sucks um i haven't I've only been to a game like as a fan with uh, at Death Valley, but yeah, we had to walk like a mile and a half. Uh, I will point. I will uh, add Nebraska to the conversation, and not just because uh, you know I know that there are like you know however many Nebraska fans listening right now, but a couple of different. Like first of all, like you are a mile in the air. You're looking like straight down at the game. Um, it's a little. Uh, Does that mean that, like in the horizon you could basically see like Colorado or whatever? Right, basically, yeah. Um, but then uh, like, I'm trying to think of the food. I don't usually eat. Like I, well, Number one, if I'm going somewhere, I've got my own list of restaurants that I want to try. And I've probably eaten before I even came. Uh, but also, like, I just, I don't know. I just don't. I think they had like trays of lasagna or whatever there. But um, the, the, the additional kind of fun aspect of Nebraska is, the, the, you know, the whole no cheering in the press box thing? Uh-huh. Um, they try. 
I, I will say that they try, but basically anytime Nebraska does any, everything good or anything good, number one, you hear an explosion from the crowd itself, but within the press box, you just hear this kind of <sighs> like everybody just like, get, like trying as hard as they can not to make an actual noise, but just like exhaling all at the same yeah, I've time. Heard that it, I've heard that at Tennessee a lot. <laughs> okay. That makes sense, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's, that's funny. Just watching people try as hard as they can not to cheer. Cause I mean, among other things, like, at least when I was there, like Eric Crouch gets two seats in the press box. Johnny Rogers gets two seats in the press box. That doesn't mean they're going to be there, but they're going to give it. They're probably going to give those seats to somebody they know. And those people are probably fans and not media. So that adds to it as well. Uh, I don't know. Do, do any other programs do that? Like I've never really encountered that. But when I, when I was in the press box at Nebraska, I was supposed to be sitting next to Eric Crouch. Uh, sat next to two people who were who were perfectly lovely and cheering the whole time. Uh, I mean, um, there there are some schools that are that involved with ex players. Um, yeah, I don't. I would say it's necessarily unique to Nebraska. Also, Nebraska is okay. huge. That the facility is big, and they can put a lot of people in yes. there too. So yeah, you're gonna go up an elevator for a long time, among other things. Um, I think that's part of it too. So here's a. This is a modified saving or. It's not actually a saving or, but um, I like this. Um, Nico Gervasoni, probably butchered yeah. that. Higher number. Number of UCLA losses in 2018 or number of losses Chip Kelly had in four years at Oregon. Basically, over under seven losses for UCLA this season. That's a tough one. I, I'm going to say under. I'm going to say, say under. I'm going to say under. I just have faith in Chip. Like, I, I mean, I know I understand how weird their quarterback situation is, and I understand how bad their defense suddenly was last mm-hmm. year. Um, but I just kind of, what, what, whereas I don't know if he will build like a, an Oregon level contender at UCLA, I just kind of assume from game management and and development and all the things that he's going to have going, he's like, even right out of the gates, I just kind of assume he'll at least go six and six or seven and five. Hmm. I think the over under should be closer to like five or six, but I definitely think I'm definitely taking under if you're giving me seven. Um, and just as a brief reminder, The, they really only have like two or three. Like, I mean, they've got a, a likely loss at Oklahoma. They've got Washington at home. Mm-hmm. So, if even if we count those as losses, they get at Oregon and USC at home. But even if we count those, every other game is either close or they're favored. So, I I think their odds of getting to six and six. The uh, month of September is. Um, I don't know. I mean, so they they open at home against Cincinnati, then they go to Oklahoma, and they get Fresno State at home. Uh, right. Three or two and one, yeah. Maybe one and two. Yeah, they're not going to lose to Cincinnati. No, I was thinking about Fresno State. But Fresno, Fresno. It's a it's a home game against Fresno State. If they if they've been demoralized at Oklahoma, and they haven't, I mean, honestly, he's gonna he's gonna experiment with personnel, and he's gonna kind of tinker with some stuff. And there 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 will be some almost you know assuredly early failures as he sort of susses through and figures out what he wants to do. It's not impossible. God, their quarterback situation just fascinates me. Like you've got Modster, you got Devon Modster, the guy who finished the uh, the season last year when Rosen was hurt, and who actually, I mean, who looked pretty decent a couple times. Couldn't do enough to beat yeah. Kansas State, but was still pretty good. Um, you've got a couple redshirt freshmen. You've got Wilton Speed. You've got Dorian Thompson Robinson, who uh, incoming freshman, blue chip freshman, who is the polar opposite of Wilton Speed in every possible. Uh, way no matter how you want to describe two people they other than the fact that they both play quarterback um i just i i I can't that that's going to be amazing to me because what if like speed wins the job and so the system is kind of crafted for him i.e um he's not going to run very much 
but then he he gets hurt as you know as he is wont to do. Um, you know, Modster can kind of go in both directions. He he didn't run much last year, but he can run a little bit. He had seven carries for fifty one yards, uh, but he's also a little bit in in the speed direction in terms of passing and whatnot. Thompson Robinson especially since he's a true freshman, he's probably going to be going on instinct a little bit right out of the gates. He's probably going to run a lot. Um, that's, that's so like, I just, I, I, I want to see what happens. That's one of the most fascinating things to me about this season It's not necessarily will, will it be good, but I just want to witness it because there are so many different candidates there. Am I buying too much into this, this Chip Kelly genius thing? We've had a lot of smart people talk about how he really fell apart and, and really failed to live up to this whole concept of, um, you know, strategist genius thing when he, especially the last couple of years when he was in the NFL. But I'm just, I'm, I'm convinced he's going to do something well, or a yeah. large portion of, of what he does will be inspired by something new or different, and that we can't really predicate UCLA on, on, on his Oregon teams. I think his um, the tactically, I'm not sure what he's going to have to offer. I'm sure there'll be a lot of little things, but I mean, I think if he makes a big difference. I think his next kind of innovation, he, he really has tried to be at the forefront of, of uh, player development uh, and, and like figuring out what to actually do with GPS data, you know, things, things like that. Um, I know that he hired an analytics guy uh, right out of the gates at UCLA. Um, so, I mean, I think he's trying in that regard to find it, but I, that might not really reflect tactically what he did, what he does, what, what we think of uh, from those Oregon teams. There might not be just a ton that's different there. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a piece that I've been kind of formulating. I ran it by Jason Kirk a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to try to write it at some point. It's basically looked at like the distribution of plays between his or his organ time and then his pro time. Um, basically the only difference was like a couple big plays a game. I talked to a coach this off season who basically said like the, the one, the biggest thing watching the chip Kelly offense, especially that first year or two when he was at Philadelphia before things kind of went South was that like, you could see a play of his work and like your immediate thought is like an organ that would have gone for 85 yards. It went for 12 uh, because safeties in the te- safeties and linebackers in the pros pursue better than any, like, I mean, that's that may that and maybe defensive tackles, safeties and defensive tackles might be like the biggest difference between college and pro. Um, and so like, you just, you can't tactically design an 80 yard run that has to be like natural playmaking ability. Um, and like over time you could almost make the case that when those plays didn't work as well and it was a lot harder to score and teams started to catch up with the no huddle stuff that and the NFL didn't really allow him to do as much no huddle stuff as he wanted to do. You could almost make the case that he kind of went insane. Like by the time he was at South uh, San Francisco, he wasn't like, there just wasn't a lot, creative about what he was doing at all and that's the part no, i'm trying to put together now but um and, and again nfl rosters are not as easily shaped and molded right. and you know you, yeah, the, it, you adjust to them and not vice versa right and and something to be like somebody i think it was maybe wall street journal or somebody wrote a pretty good piece too about how like chip kelly the head coach didn't really fail chip kelly the general manager failed he took he got too much control right out of the gates um and didn't you know, had he kind of had too many hats he was wearing, and the GM or the personnel uh, Chip Kelly kind of screwed the head coach Chip Kelly over a little bit. I think he went in. Um, he was probably sainted too quick. He shouldn't have been sainted at all um, because the you know it's look we got to be hard on Chip about going to the NFL and getting full control of a team and screwing it up. 
if we're going to be hard on like all the Lovey Smith, uh, you know, Herm Edwards, oh, he's plug and play because he was successful in the NFL guys. So it has to go sure. both ways. But um, he was also awesome that first year and and pretty good his second year. They were fun. And then, and then less so after that. But he had a couple, like a year and a half at least, he, he was everything he was supposed to be. Well, and some of the stuff that I, I mean, I wasn't consuming a ton of Eagles coverage, but as, as they got around to doing the kind of big picture pieces as Philadelphia went and eventually won the Super Bowl, there was a lot of talk about how he failed to communicate and really engender yeah. himself to players. Yeah, some, I mean, guys, some guys are college coaches. That's the best thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, some guys are college, purely college. A lot more, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that all makes sense. I mean, I'm not going to. I definitely don't want to sate him in this regard, but I don't want to make him an outright miserable failure at the pros too. Cause for almost half his tenure, he was awesome. It's just, yeah. he didn't really adjust when things went wrong. He didn't, well, at least I, I, I shouldn't say he didn't adjust. He didn't adjust right. He didn't make the right adjustments uh, as time went on. But Bert sugar man. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped you. <laughs> Whatever. Cut me off. I'm sorry, Bill. Bert Sugarman. Say it again. It's a really good name. It looks like Gus Malzahn is in the top, the top 10 of every statistical rating I see, competing in a very tough division. So why is he never talked about as one of the country's best coaches? Um, he is sometimes, Bert, Sugar yeah, Man. sometimes, yeah. Uh, but again, this is uh, you guys know the answer to this question. It's Alabama. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is the lens by which we choose to view Auburn. Um, it is the lens by which Auburn chooses to view itself. And I think smart football people know how successful Gus is and has been and will be. Gus beat Georgia and Alabama. That's true. Yeah. So I was a pretty damn successful coach. Um, circumstances are are everything. You know, all politics are local. So um, I also think Gus, I don't know if there's like an economy to this space, but like, in the rumor, in the world of the rumor mill, which I participate mm-hmm. in, I don't think Gus got a fair shake because when we cycled up for real in Halloween and we were going through, we didn't. First off, we did not know Gus was going to beat Georgia and we was gonna, he was going to beat Alabama. Remember that those things happened late. But there was some unease and frustration, as there always is at Auburn, and everyone started talking about, well, Arkansas is on the steady decline. That thing's, you know, that's that's going to happen. Gus is just going to go home to Arkansas. That was all we ever really speculated. That was all anyone ever talked about. Um, the reality is that I think Gus did not want to leave Auburn. Gus understands what Auburn can do. He can understands what Auburn can be. He's just the guy who happens to be opposite Nick Saban in this particular time frame. But the problem is when you just put Auburn on a piece of paper and do the blind item resume thing, like it's Auburn. It's a good damn job. It's one of the best in the country. So he didn't want to leave. I just think it was funny when I said we he, we did a disservice to him, I guess. No one even speculated Gus would go to another place other than Arkansas or stay at Auburn. I find that a little strange. <laughs> no one said Gus yeah. was going to go to Florida. No one said Gus was going to go to Tennessee. No one's – I mean – I personally think Tennessee is a significant step down from Auburn, but I'm just throwing this out there. No one, no one mentioned Gus's name with Florida State. Here's the record. Find it odd. Here are the records of the teams that have beaten Auburn in recent years: thirteen and zero, thirteen and two, nine and four, twelve and two, eleven and two, fourteen and one, eight and five Georgia losing to eight and five Georgia in 2016 wasn't great, but fourteen and one Clemson in 2016. Uh, 14-1 Alabama the year before, 10-3 Georgia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, part of his problem is that, I mean, Alabama, absolutely. Because even if he's a top 10 or 15 coach, Nick Saban is a top one coach. Um, and he's never going to be top one. Uh, so he's, all, he's always going to be the second best coach in the rivalry, even though he's beaten that rival a couple times. But beyond that, too, like he just five years at Auburn, he has three top 10 S&P plus rankings. And in those three seasons, he's averaged 10 wins. So there's no like there was the 12 and two breakthrough his first year. But the other two uh, top 10 teams went eight and five and 10 and four. Uh, when he only had a top 15 or 25 program, he went seven and six and eight and five. Like there's just there's there, there's no fat. There's no fat to trim here. Like it's just a ridiculous schedule. And it is every year. Like Clemson's not on it this year. That's good. Washington is. So they played Georgia, Alabama and Washington. Um, like that's that's absurd. So like it's just if that's the way it is, it's really hard. And then, you know, the fact that, you know, they lost the last two games of 2017, well, three of the last four against in 2016, whatever, four, four of seven in 2015, like four or five in 2014. They never quite finished strong in part because they always have absurd teams at the end of the schedule. So it's like sentiment versus reality. Yeah, the sentiment's never going to be fully back on his side unless he, well, unless he wins the, the playoff, but He's a really good coach, and he has a really hard schedule every single year, and he handles it about as well as just about anybody not named Nick Saban could. Yeah, <laughs> we really just stand for Auburn and Gus Malzahn. I guess we did, but yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I, I feel no shame for it. It's very much a hidden truth, and it's in plain sight. So I don't know. Back to the um, the the Reddit page, real quick, just to just to cleanse the palate of all this SEC stuff. Um, <laughs> Our friend, I would say our friend. Well, our friend Necro Chaos. Uh, what can Conference USA do to make themselves a better conference? If, if the if the if Conference USA can't improve, where can Marshall go if they leave? Uh, Marshall can go nowhere uh, unless you want to go back to the MAC, which one, which is what somebody um, it well, which is what our friend Necro Chaos uh, suggested later in that same thread. But uh, yeah, what can conference you uh, say to do do to make themselves a better conference? Other than, as I always say, make good hires. Which is the answer. I don't know if that's enough. No, it, well, it is because you you know that makes you that means you have more better more good teams and therefore you have a better conference. But like in terms of what would get you a more lucrative TV deal, uh, I don't think. That's Think as different as possible. Become really become the tip of the spear in innovation and take bold risks because the what you have now as a conference is not working. It won't work and it's going to eventually fade out and die. So now is the time to do something different and bold and fun and cool. And uh in the meantime, hire good coaches and play good football. No doubt. But um you're not gonna get Lane Kiffin every time. Uh, I do think there's a series of programs there that are competent and overlooked, but I do think there's another series of programs that need to improve. You know, I talked a lot about Charlotte. That's a job. Watch out for Charlotte. Um, it won't be the same. It, we won't look at it and forget that it's an FBS program in five years. Trust me. By the People way, you're going to change that could, Charlotte job when it opens. You probably could get always get the Lane Kiffins. It's just that that might backfire more as or more often than it doesn't. So, uh, there's that. I think you have to keep the you, you got to keep the Floridas and the the two Floridas and North Texas and you also have to I really think Western has to keep its keep going. They had a regression last year. It was a first year head coach doing something very different. 
you know, Stanford is very different than Brom. Uh, I think Stockstill has been great and nothing if not consistent at middle, but I think they need to be something a little bit more, honestly. I think, I mean, if we're talking about, this is going to be unfair to individual coaches and programs if we're going to talk about what it takes to make the the use of the sexiest, most appealing thing possible. And Stockstill is nothing if not consistent, but they have to be more. They have to be more. They're close to a lot of great recruiting areas. They're, you know, one county away from Nashville, Tennessee. You have to start doing things different there and attracted a different or in middle's case, just a more of an audience. Um, so, so it's more, it, I think it's more an effort of the conference doing something dramatically different in terms of rights holding and um, how they present their, their game day and how they, how they go about showing you the games, you know, like everyone kind of laughed at the Facebook thing. Do more of that. Right. Like just, just continue, continue to, to do different things. Don't iterate. Um, you know, this piecemeal TV rights deal, is just, it's not going to work. It's not. Um, yeah, the Facebook thing didn't really work out all that well for them. It didn't hurt anything. I mean, just keep trying, keep swinging, because eventually somebody's going to have a new innovative way to consume live sports content. Um, all right, uh, Bill, Unamas. This is always pressure now. Um, I know, and it's on you. Got a couple questions about streaming that we'll just hold on to because it's almost that time. Yep, yep. Um, Bill, the pressure's on. Bill, 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 Bill. Final question of the week. Is Bill going to pick a good one? Final question (laughs) of the week. I'm not. Bill, you got to get a good one. Get a good one. At... Matthew Workman, or excuse me, Matthew Workman at Matt D. Workman. This better what, be glorious. What is the ceiling for Raging Cajun football in year one under Billy Napier? <laughs> What's the ceiling? Yeah. Recruit well. Oh, bold. Probably the floor. Now that I just realized what I said, it's that's the floor. Um, so. I mean, the ceiling is making the the inaugural Sun Belt uh, Sun Belt title game. I, I you know, they're they're you know, they're not going to be favored for that to play at Appalachian State and at Troy. Do you think that's the ceiling in the, his first year? Well, coming I mean, off I'm of sure a five and seven year where they were five hundred in conference play. Well, no, we're talking ceiling. Like the most likely scenario is four to six wins, but um, I know, but I don't. Know. I wouldn't even set their ceiling at going to the, and, and winning no, the conference. It's a sun belt. It's, this is even though you do have Appalachian State, Troy, and Arkansas State that are a step ahead. It's not like those teams are so much more athletic than anybody else that if you kind of catch lightning in a bottle, you can't upset Arkansas State, fall into a six yeah. and two tie, and make the title game. Like that, I, I think that's giving them becoming the MAC. Right. Well, I mean, sort of, but in in a good way. Um, it's not a bad thing to have a lot of interesting programs, but I mean, yeah, I would say if we're talking most likely, yeah, most likely here is probably about five wins. I think S and P said four, uh, but they're going to have a really fun offense. They've got a lot of, of experience offensively. Uh, no real, uh, worthwhile experience defensively. And that's probably going to cost them a little bit, but sure. Let's, uh, you know, don't lose to only lose to Mississippi state and Alabama by 40. Here's the good news. As as someone who very much enjoys the context of any single team conversation by the schedule, you can keep morale high for a long time here and maybe not even be that good. Um, and here's what I mean by that. 
They open with Grambling. Then yep. they have a bye. That's going to suck later, but you have a bye. You are in no way expected to win either in week three at Mississippi State or in week five at Alabama. In no way, shape, or form. <laughs> Stay healthy. Enjoy the team hotel. Bond. Have a good movie on the bus ride home. You can beat Coastal, which is uh, who comes into uh, – so they're in Lafayette in between those in week four. Okay? Yep. So you beat Grambling, you beat Coastal. You go to Texas State, winnable game. You come home and you have New Mexico State, a bowl team, Bill's favorite football team. If you beat New Mexico State, assuming you, you will take care of business against uh, Texas State, Coastal, and certainly Grambling, you're shaping up really nicely to go into Appalachian State. And by the way, it's October 20th at this point, right? So what you don't get, even with two really good SEC teams that are going to kill you, the expectation levels, ULL doesn't care about that. They're fine <laughs> with that, right? You're building towards something, and now it's late October. Score a touchdown now, so you can put it on the uh, score a touchdown against Mississippi. Yeah, so you can put it on the highlight video at the end of the year. Exactly. I mean, like here at now, the conversation changes dramatically. You're at App State. You come home and play Arkansas State, and then you're at Troy. So you're gonna know real fast what kind of big boy you are. That's it right there. That's your that's your season in terms of developing floor and ceiling. Yeah, because no, you are very. Because if I'm picking it right now, you're zero and three in that stretch. Yeah, you have four winnable to extremely winnable games in your first six. Um, mm-hmm. Win those, yeah, but you have you have you all your games that aren't insane paycheck games are winnable. <laughs> right, exactly. This and, actually, and then you play the three best teams, in my opinion, in the conference in back to back to back weeks. Yeah, they actually. Uh, now that I'm looking at that in in date or chronological order here, yeah, they have five games that they're absolutely well, almost certainly going to lose. I'm not going to like think of pulling an upset of Arkansas state. That's fine. But those five, they're all double digit underdogs at least. Uh, they've got one double digit favorite game against Grambling, And then the other six games are all projected within a touchdown. So, yep. Uh, to, to wrap it out after that murderer's row of conference opponents, you get Georgia state at home, South Alabama at home. And then you go to ULM on Thanksgiving well, weekend. Big rivalry game. 67 game of the year. Here's the deal. Like you absolutely can be floating at bowl eligibility, if not already bowl eligible, when you go into your rivalry game against ULM. That's what you should focus on in year one because he's trying to do I mean, my interest in ULL right now has absolutely nothing to do with twenty eighteen football and everything to do with this guy who is I would say a a, a lower hanging fruit of, or maybe a closer hanging fruit of the Saban tree trying to Sabanize the Sunbelt program. I'm just I'm I'm from a distance from an, I'm just curious how that's going to work for him. Way more than I am curious if you know if they're going to go to a particular bowl this year or even next year. So and he is going to be very attractive if he gets things going. Um, yes, it won't take long for him to get plucked away. Oh, in a heartbeat. I mean, especially if you, if and if you can build any kind of uh, bona fides or bona fides, as some people say, um, as they probably say in Lafayette, uh, on I ten. Yeah. And you're going to be coveted. Also, here's another thing to consider. App State, Arkansas State, and Troy. With the exception of Arkansas State, those two, I, I firmly believe that those other two jobs will be filled by other coaches yeah. the following year. It's not, I will say this, it's Mackish to a certain degree in that you can be on the come up pretty quick. And yeah. you can be a power program in this conference in 2019. I think, I think October 2019, you can be considered one of the best teams in the Sun Belt. Yeah. 
That's a pretty good. That's by a pretty the way, good question. By the way, that was some comfort food in the wheelhouse to close out an otherwise choppy show. By the way, uh, both ULL and ULM this year are going to be fun as hell. ULM's going to probably have the best defense in the or offense in the conference, and quite possibly the worst defense. ULL is going to be slightly away off of that in one direction or the other in both categories. Uh, Fun, 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 fun. fun. I'll go to that game. It's already got a game. It's already got a time set. That's weird. Huh. And we know the rest of that. Uh, ULLs, not ULMs. Well, um, I know a lot of people ULM for obvious reasons. Uh, right. it's, it's got a 2 p.m. kickoff, Central Time. That's weird because it doesn't have a TV thing tagged to it. So I'll go to that game. I don't care. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's Thanksgiving weekend. I'll probably be there anyway. <laughs> Bill, I don't want to think about Thanksgiving right now. I just want to enjoy the slowness that is August. I'm not going to say anything else about the pace or the frequency of headlines in the offseason, for it has bitten me in the arse. However, I do think we'll be back next week, and I do think the majority of what we will be talking about is just the old Southeastern Conference. Because guess what? We didn't even touch it today, and you're already you're already except, except my dude, my countless uh, Florida references. You're past the ass end. You're well into the functional parts of the intestine, so we get to just go whole hog on the Southeastern Conference next week. That's about the most PAPN thing I can think of, right?